Welcome to the Marietta First United Methodist Church Podcast. Marietta First is a community of disciples dedicated to living and serving faithfully our local community of Marietta, Georgia, and around the world. We are glad you're here. It is our prayer that this podcast offers you hope and grace on your own journey of faith. Please remain standing for the gospel. Reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 18, verses 28 through uh, 40. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement and to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, If this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. And the Jews replied, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death he was to die. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you this about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king, but for this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, What is truth? After he said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? They shouted in reply, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a bandit. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. You'll forgive me. I um, My family decided that yesterday was a good day to do yard work, and so I fear now that my insides are as saturated in pollen as everything outside is. Um. But we'll, we'll get through this together. Um, this will this will get me through. So our scripture this morning centers around this crucial question of what kind of king Jesus is, what kind of kingdom Jesus has. The religious leaders bring Jesus to Pilate to be executed, and Pilate asks, "What has he done to deserve this?" And when Pilate questions Jesus we see the charge. He says, are you the king of the Jews? That's a serious charge because there is no king but Caesar, right? So if Jesus is claiming to be the king of the Jews, then by Roman law, he ought to be put to death. But it doesn't seem that Jesus ever made this claim for himself. 
He never seemed to, to claim kingship over this people group. So where does this come from? And I think we can find it clearest earlier in the other Gospels in Peter's confession. Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says that you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And it's on this term Messiah that this whole scripture hangs. And the Hebrew term uh, Messiah means anointed one. And you look through the Hebrew scriptures to see, well, who is anointed? And it was always the king. Right? First Saul and then David and Solomon. The kings were the anointed ones of God. They held that title and they also held all of the hopes that that title brought with it. And king after king after king did not live up to those hopes. It developed an entire tradition of messianic hope. And you're familiar with it, mostly uh, around Advent, Christmas. Uh, I think the one you're probably the most familiar with is Isaiah 9, which says, For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we hear that now, and we say, of course, it's Jesus. But what we believe, uh, what scholars believe, is that that was a, an oracle written uh, chronicling the hopes that would be placed upon the young king Hezekiah. Whether at his birth or coronation, we're not entirely sure. But it gives us a picture of the hopes that were placed on the anointed one. And that king after king after king failed to live up to these hopes. And so when Pilate is questioning Jesus, it starts with a sort of misunderstanding of what this means, what this term is. Jesus is the anointed one. But what kind of anointed one is he? If he's a king, what kind of kingdom does he claim to rule? And Pilate questions Jesus. And Jesus, I think, is trying to give some sort of insight, right? He says that my, my kingdom is not from here. If it was, it would look like other kingdoms. I would have soldiers and guards and people would be fighting to free me. But none of that is happening. My kingdom is not from here. My kingdom is something fundamentally different. My kingdom is about truth. And Pilate turns rather dismissive at this point, uh, I think because he feels that Jesus is getting philosophical on him. And, and so what is truth? I'm not interested in that debate. Leave that for the, the philosophers and the Stoics. Um, and then Pilate goes back to the crowd and says, I don't see any reason to put him to death. I don't find any charge with him. So he takes another tack. He says, I can release a prisoner to you. Would you like me to release Jesus or would you like me to release Barabbas? And we don't get a whole lot of information about Barabbas. I think this translation said he was a bandit. There are others that say uh, that he was a revolutionary. Um, a few interesting things with Barabbas. His name is Aramaic, Bar Abba, which means son of the father. And even though we don't get a lot of scriptural evidence for what his crime is, the Jewish historian Josephus writes a, a number of accounts about this time. And he writes specifically that Pilate... Uh, decreed that the Roman standard, the eagle, should be erected on the temple mount, and that that upset a lot of people who saw that as idolatry, and, and they led a small revolt against Pilate for that. 
And right after Josephus writes about that, he writes about the execution of Jesus. So it stands to reason that it's possible that Barabbas was a leader or took part in this revolt uh, against Pilate. But what we really see at the end of this scripture is that the crowd chooses Barabbas, the son of the father, whose power they understand, whose power um, is familiar to them. They choose the son of the father whose weakness looks like power and condemn Jesus, the son of the father, whose power looks like weakness. And I think that can help us identify and understand the crowd and, and understand Pilate, and maybe understand ourselves a little bit better. Because how often do we trust in the appearance of power, which is often just weakness and insecurity veiled by cruelty? How often are we put off by the appearance of weakness and vulnerability, even though through Jesus, we see that as the true nature of strength. That is the true nature of King Jesus. So then what is this kingdom? How do we understand the kingdom that Jesus is talking about? And it can be hard for us to see it. I think because like Pilate, we make this fundamental miscalculation. Right? Our worldly systems are often unified around their love of power. But the kingdom of God is about being unified around the power of love. Jesus' mission was not simply to replace one, uh, one oppressive system with another. He, he wasn't trying to overthrow the Roman rule in Judea and replace it with an equally oppressive Jewish regime. No, Jesus is the anointed one of God, is the Messiah Though he was expected to have understandable political aspirations, he witnesses to the kingdom of God, which is fundamentally different and overturns all of these earthly kingdoms. And we can see that from the very beginning. When Jesus begins his ministry, he opens Isaiah and he reads these words. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This does not sound like someone who is setting out to create another type of kingdom. Or think about other places where Jesus talks about the kingdom, right? The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's a small thing, then when you plant it, it grows large, uh, and in, in doing some research for this, I realized that there's actually multiple types of mustard seeds. And there was one in particular that was the most common that was apparently illegal to plant uh, at this time uh, because it, it was this sort of like thistle-looking plant, and you would plant it, and it would grow fast, and it created a whole lot of seeds that would then die and germinate, and it spread, it spread, it spread, right? It's like, um, it's like kudzu, right? The kingdom of God is like kudzu, once you plant it, you can't control it. It goes and it goes and it goes and it goes where it will and it spreads. You don't have control of the kingdom of God, right? The love of power being upset by the power of love. Or in another place, he says that the kingdom of heaven is like a woman who mixes 
uh, some leaven with uh, a certain, I think about 60 pounds of flour is what the, the measures come out to. And if you spent any time over the last number of years thinking, I should get into baking sourdough, uh, you'll know that if you overfeed a sourdough starter, the leaven, and you come back, it will have blown the lid off whatever container you put it in. Now, if you're doing that with about 60 pounds of flour, that will blow the lid off of your house. <laughs> you can't control it. Once you start it, the kingdom of God is like something that you have no control over. Our power of love being upset, our love of power being upset by the power of love. And to put it into more concrete terms, uh, in 2019, I had the, the honor to go and deliver some supplies. Uh, my last appointment had collected uh, craft supplies and, and books and all kinds of things for a summer camp for refugee children that an organization called Inspiritus puts together. And I was delivering the things, and I was talking to the people who were working there, and they were mostly social workers or, or people studying to be social workers. And uh, this one woman in particular was talking to me about all the things that they do there, right? She said, well, we do, you know, English as a second language, and we try to help reacclimate. but a lot of what we do is helping children understand that they're safe and unpack trauma, because nobody becomes a refugee by choice. Right? You're only in that situation forced to flee your home if you are forced to flee your home. And so I said, that, how, why do you do this? Um, I just, I wanted to know, like, what, what was it about this job that connected her and, and excited her? And she said, come here. And she took me to this window, and we're looking out over the lawn of the, the church, and there are kids out there playing. And she said, do you see the little boy in the blue shirt? And I said, Yeah. And she said, well, do you see the one he's playing with in the yellow? And I said, yes. And there are you know, two boys about 11, 12, kicking a soccer ball back and forth and laughing and talking and being children. She said that, that their families are from opposing sides of a generations-long ethnic conflict. That these children are from opposing sides of a genocide. And there they are laughing and being children and loving one another. That's why I do this. The kingdom of heaven is like that. It's like two children because of the power of love upending generations of conflict and violence and hate. I know, buddy, that's right. This is my son, sorry. Um, and here I hope is some good news for you that this is real, that this kingdom is real. It is not something in the, in the far future. It's not something in the sweet by and by. But it is a world which we are called to help realize here and now. The kingdom of God is an emerging, emergent reality that is brought forth with every act of kindness, with every act of reconciliation, with every act of love, the kingdom becomes a little bit clearer. And we're, we're not called to, to sit and wait for God to act, but instead we're invited to join in a divine partnership in bringing this reality about, right? 
we have a part to play in the ongoing transformation of the world. So how do we do that? How do we participate? Well, the founder of our branch of the church, John Wesley, wrote that there is no holiness except social holiness. Right by that, he meant that a life of faith has to be lived out in community, in the world, and in your context, in your day-to-day goings about. In other words, there's no such thing as private faith, right? Faith is all public. Claiming Jesus as Lord, then, can often put us at odds with certain social or government realities or systems. And if we think of the most acute example we have in our world now, we can think about that right now there is a power much like Imperial Rome that is engaged in a campaign of wanton violence and destruction, right? We can see that unbridled love of power looks like bombed Ukrainian hospitals and shelters and schools. It looks like indiscriminate violence. But there's another way Imagine if the soldiers on either side of this conflict who claim the name of Christ, who claim Christ as Lord, would instead set down their weapons and refuse to do harm to one another. And that's hard because we don't have any control over that. But we can set aside our own weapons, right? We can set aside our own uh, will to do harm to one another. We can set aside our own selfish ambitions, often at the expense of others. And what a witness that is. And this is what Pilate can't understand. This is what differentiates the kingdom of God from earthly kingdoms. That we might, out of love for others, give freely of ourselves in order to bless that love might compel us to release some status, some benefit for the love of others. Because the law of power can only see the law of love as weakness. And if that's difficult, then here hopefully is something to make it a little bit easier. Uh, Here is a foundational truth that I think we can hold on to that makes the work of the kingdom and the reality of the kingdom a little bit clearer. Is that we cover ourselves in all these different identities in order to project something or protect ourselves. But the truth is that you are not your job, right? You are not your status. You are not your ethnicity. You are not your skin color. You are not your gender. You are not any of these things, these identities that we claim for ourselves on a foundational level. What you are is a beloved child of God. You always have been and you always will be. Even when you don't feel like it, even when you don't believe it, you are a child of God. And that foundational identity breaks the power of all these other things that we claim for ourselves. 
When Jesus is talking to Pilate, he says, my kingdom is not from this world because the power of that kingdom is not derived from this world. In order to grasp it, we have to realize that our power, your power, your worth is not derived from this world. It's not derived from the value systems or the kingdoms of this world. But it comes because you are a child of God. And all other identities that you claim are subordinate to that foundational identity. Citizenship in the kingdom of God then calls us to recognize that identity in the faces of all others that we see. That I am a child of God, and so are you. Right? That you are a child of God, and that you are a child of God, and that you are a child of God, and you are a child of God. And you are a child of God. You always have been. And you always will be. So welcome to the kingdom. Let's get to work. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Marietta First United Methodist Church Podcast. For more information about Marietta First United Methodist Church, we invite you to connect with us online at MarietaFUMC.org or on Facebook at Marietta FUMC.